I am, I am up. How are you? Good, good. I want to take a minute and introduce two special friends that are here. Carol Hendrickson is sitting next to Judy. Jan Smith is sitting next to Carol. They're not only friends, they were at various times during my years at the Hudson Church, chairs of the Pastor Parish, the Staff Parish Relations Committee. Among other things, among other things, but they were chairs of that committee. And as such, there are things about me that they know that uh, bribery, bribery ha will keep them from telling. I, I, I don't know how much bribery it will take, but it, it'll, take, it'll take some. But I'm, I'm glad to, we're glad to welcome them. Now, Carol and her late husband, Bill, way back in January of 09, when we did the covenant service with Chris, remember I mentioned that last week, Carol and Bill were here. Uh, this is Jan's first time with us, but uh, Carol and Bill and a bunch of other folks from the Hudson Church were here. And, uh, you know, that Lighthouse song was great. That was a wonder. That would have really fit last week when I told the story of the battleship and the lighthouse. That, that really would have fit in there really well. And then there's Chris. There, there are things about that boy. Nah. As if I have to tell you, I'm proud of him and proud of his brothers. I, 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 do, I do have to tell you this, this truth, though. As a, as, a, as a dad, one of the things that just blesses my heart is how close Chris and Brian and David are to each other. They, they razz each other all the time. They give each other a hard time. They give me a hard time. You saw what Chris had to say about having to train me. Didn't work, but he tried. But uh, it, it, just, it just thrills me that these sons of mine are, are as close to one another as they are. And, and Judy knew that she was really accepted in the family when they started giving her the business too. So, so that's, that's, that's true. And, and Chris does it all the time. We have embarked last Sunday and now this Sunday on a, on a two-message study of the, the covenant. The covenant that God enacts with us through Jesus Christ. And last week, we saw that the covenant that had been written on stone is now written on our hearts. In Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, we read that no longer will one person have to say to another person, know the Lord, because all will know the Lord from the youngest to the oldest, because the truth of God's word is no longer written on stone tablets, but written on our hearts. The idea of the covenant with God, as we studied last week, stems from the Hebrew blood covenant, that there are certain things that have to be enacted to do a Hebrew blood covenant. First thing that, that is happening is you take off your coat and you give it to your covenant partner. And that symbolizes that you're giving yourself to, to your partner through this covenant. Then you would take your belt off. Your weapons hung from your belt. 
And by, by giving that to your partner, you're saying that my ability to fight, my ability to protect you is, is yours. If anybody touches you, they touch me first. And then the third thing you did was, was you took an animal and you, and you split it in half and you walked through the pieces. Now, that's kind of yucky. And you think, why in the world would you do something like that? Uh, the answer is, I don't know. But that was a part of it. But the symbolism of it was you were saying to your covenant partner, as that animal has died uh, for the enacting of this covenant that you and I are making, so I am willing to die for you for the same, for the same reason. And then, and then you would cut yourself and you would mingle the blood. And some of you raised your hand last week when I, I said, if, I asked if any of you had a blood brother or a blood sister when you were, when you were growing up, and, and some of you did. And the significance of that was the scar that was left, the, the uh, uh, scar that would, would be an evidence to anyone who saw it that, that you have a blood a covenant partner. Then you would share names. Your name would be taken on by your partner and your covenant partner would also uh, take on, uh, you would take on your covenant partner's name. And then the final thing you did was you sat down to a meal of bread and wine and you said to each other what you had inherited through the enacting of the covenant. Now, I want to suggest to you that that is not the concept that many people have of a covenant today. Most people think of a covenant in terms of what's in it for me. Uh, unfortunately, even today, many people don't have that, that kind of a concept of, of a marriage covenant a Woman's Day article a number of years ago talked about a, a, uh, what, what the marriage covenant was really all about. And so this is how Woman's Day explained a marriage. I understand that nothing is forever. Well, right there, you know you're on shaky ground. I understand that nothing is forever, that there are absolutely no guarantees, and that now is the only real forever. I cannot make you happy or unhappy, but I can make myself happy. And when I make commitments to do what I want to do, then I am being free. Well, isn't that just ducky? That's, that's the concept of the, that many people have of a covenant in general and really a marriage covenant in, uh, specifically. It is selfishness all the way through. I, me, my, mine. And there's more. The contract, according to Woman's Day, continues. I understand that there will be pain as well as joy, and I accept the risk of a brief period of grief when we part. Do you hear that? 
I mean, it's a foregone conclusion before we've ever exchanged vows that we're going to break up. And when the split comes, I know I'll hurt for a little bit, but that's just part of the process. But wait, there's more. Sounds like one of those commercials, doesn't it? But wait, there's more. Just pay extra shipping and handling. Don't expect me to accept you as you are when you fail to maintain mental attractiveness and fail to take care of your mind. I am glad that Judy did not put that in our marriage vows because my mind... And don't expect me to accept you as you are when you fail to maintain physical attractiveness and fail to take care of your body. Well, as Dana Carvey would say when he took on the persona of the church lady, isn't that special? <laughs> I, I, I don't know where people come up with some of the ideas that they do. I remember I was, I was doing marriage uh, wedding counseling for a, a couple who wanted to get married up at, the, up at the Hudson Church. They had been church shopping and preacher shopping. And, and what that means is church shopping, they, they were looking for a church that would cost them the least. And I'm not sure what they were looking for in the preacher. So they came in and we sat down because I mandated that uh, marriage counseling always be a part of of preparation to doing a wedding service, as Chris does, as Don, I'm certain, did during his years of ministry. So they came in and they sat down, and and they were not part of the congregation. I didn't know them. So one of the questions I asked was, why do you want to be married in a Christian church? And they said, well, you've got a pretty sanctuary. It'll look good in the pictures. Well, okay, I, I appreciated their honesty at least. And, and, and they, they asked me, how did I feel about them writing their own vows? And I said, I'm, I'm all for you writing your own vows as long as they are in keeping with a Christian understanding of the covenant of marriage. So come back uh, the next time we meet with your vows written out, and we'll sit down and we'll take a look at them and discuss them. So when they did come back, they had uh, the vows written out and, and pretty much stayed within the traditional vows of, of the church that, that you and I are familiar with, except when it came to uh, love, honor, and cherish until what? death us do part or death do us part, however it's said, they substituted love, honor, and cherish until love ceases. In other words, we're going into the marriage with an escape clause. And and anytime I kind of feel that love has ceased, um, that's my that's my way out. Uh, I said, well, you know, we need, to, uh, we need to change that. We need to work on that. They were unwilling to change it, and I didn't do the wedding. 
and uh, their parting shot to me was, you know, you really have to do the wedding. That's your job. <laughs> and, and, uh, but it, it, didn't, it didn't phase me. The Christian concept of marriage you're familiar with. A man shall leave his father and mother and join to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In other words, one plus one equals one. That's the Christian concept of marriage. Now, I, I, I know life deals cards sometimes that require other changes in life and, and divorce and things like that. I, I know that. And it's not what I'm saying that those things don't happen. What I am saying is that the covenant of marriage and the covenant in general that we enact, we do not go into it planning to walk away from it. One plus one equals one. Just as we enter into covenant with our marriage partner, God entered into covenant with Abram. Now, this is Abram before he becomes Abraham. And we will understand in a little bit how that name change came about. So in Genesis chapter 15, the first verse, we read, The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Now remember, remember the first two steps of the covenant, of the Hebrew blood covenant. The first was you took off your coat and you gave it to your partner, signifying I'm giving to you everything that I am. I am your very great reward, God says to Abram, figuratively taking off his coat and giving it to his covenant partner. And then the second thing he says is, I am your shield, taking off the belt from which your weapons hung and saying to your covenant partner, I am in this covenant to protect you. If anyone touches you, they touch me first. So the first two steps of the covenant are enacted. And then in verse 8, God tells Abraham to get the animals and killing animals for sacrifice was very common in the Old Testament and in part of the New. But the only time you split one down the middle was when you were going to enact the blood covenant. And then the partners were to walk through the halves, as we've already discovered, indicating their mutual participation in the act of the covenant. But now look at what happens in verse 12. As the sun was setting... Abram fell into a deep sleep. Now think about that. Abram was supposed to be walking through the halves of the animal and God puts him to sleep. Why? Well, basically because there is nothing else that Abram can do in enacting this covenant. So just as if he were in church listening to a boring sermon... He fell asleep. And in verse 17, it says that he saw a strange thing. He has a vision, which I suggest to you is what most visions are anyway, strange. 
When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Where Abram was supposed to be walking through the halves of the animal, he saw a flaming torch instead. Someone had taken his place. What's going on? Well, you got to understand that God's in a dilemma. He is going to enter into covenant with his children. But how can holy God, creator, redeemer, sustainer of the world, how can holy God enter into covenant with sinful creatures such as we? The answer is he can't. There's no point at which we can meet. Remember last week I talked about Saul and David and how they could never be in covenant together because they were at opposite ends of the spectrum. But how as soon as David and Jonathan met, they could enter into covenant together. Well, here we have a situation where we have sinned ourselves right out of God's presence, and there is no point at which we can meet. If I enter covenant with, with Don and and. It's, it's basically going to be an equal covenant. He's a human being. I'm a human being. Uh, I, I, say to, I say to Don, here's my money for you. He says, here's my money for you. And, and so it's, it's sort of equal. And they would call that a sunthiki, S-U-N-T-H-E-K-E, a sunthiki covenant, which means equally coming together each of us doing our part. But the Greek word for the kind of covenant that God enters into with Abram is a diatheke. We're not equal. We've got nothing to give to God. God has everything to give to us. We gain everything. God gains nothing. It's a one-way covenant, a diatheke. What does God have to, or what does Abram have to offer to God? Nothing. He's like us. He's a sinner. All he's got is debt. But God says, Abram, I'm going to enter into covenant with you, and I am going to bless you. But it has to be a diatheke, because you've got nothing that you can give. And so God enters into covenant with Abram, on our behalf, with himself. So you sit there and and, and you think about that for a little bit, and you say, well, now how in the world does God enter into covenant with himself? Orthodox Christianity understands the Godhead to be three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when God says to Abram that I am going to bless you and I am going to enter into covenant with you, what he is saying is I am going to enter covenant with myself for your benefit. And we know from the text in his vision that Abram saw somebody take his place within the covenant. He said it was like a radiance, a glory, passing through the pieces of the animal. And if you remember in John 8, 56, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. 
Now, when did Abraham possibly see Jesus? I want to suggest to you that in that vision, Abraham saw, saw the glory of Jesus walking through the pieces and entering into the covenant on our behalf with the Father. It's a diatheke. God does it all. God takes the initiative, then he takes our place in the covenant, and then he says, now that we're in covenant together, you get all the benefits. Not because you did anything, not because you earned it, but because I swore I would bless you. I don't know if anybody here has ever had the experience of being summoned to an attorney's office to hear the reading of a will or to hear the reading of a will from a relative that you never knew you had, had never met. And, and in the reading of that will, you are left with blessings. Maybe monetary, maybe not. But nonetheless, what this relative of yours whom you never entered into any conversation with at all in your life is saying, here, I want to give you this. Not because you did something to earn it, not because you did something for me, but because I just want to bless you. And it's my prerogative to do that. That's what God is saying. And so we saw last week as we looked at, at, at Jonathan and, and his son Mephibosheth, all unborn children are included in this covenant. The mark of the covenant would be circumcision. The mark that, we, that would be born in the bodies of those who are inheritors and would be known that they were in covenant relationship with God the Father. And then the changing of the names. God's name in Hebrew has a huh sound. You, you can't pronounce God's name. Uh, it was intentionally done that way so, so you don't desecrate it. If you can't pronounce it, you can't desecrate it. Well, God says to Abraham, to Abram, no longer will you be Abram, you will be Abraham. The, the huh sound coming in to Abram's name. And Sarai, Abram's wife, is also a part of the covenant. And God's name comes into her name, and he says, no longer are you Sarai, you are now Sarah. And, and Abram's name comes into God's name because one of the ways in which God was spoken of was as the God of Abraham. We have a hymn somewhere, John, in, in the hymnal. I think the God of Abraham prays, I think is the title of it. The God of, of Abraham prays. And, and so life goes on for, for the Hebrew children. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons who had a lot more kids, and they all go down to Egypt and they stay for centuries, and by the time the book of Exodus opens, they're in bondage. They were in prayer about their condition. It's significant how they prayed. They didn't pray, oh God, please get us out of this mess. 
No, they said, God, remember the promise that you made to Abraham. We are your covenant children. We are married to you. Deliver us because we are in covenant together. So Moses gets sent by God to Pharaoh. And, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he doesn't say, hey, man, let these people go. That's, that's not what Moses says. What does Moses say? Moses says, God said, let my people go. Let my covenant people go. And so finally Pharaoh, after a little persuasion, lets the people go. They, they get out into the wilderness. What are they going to eat? Domino's doesn't deliver out there. There are no 7-Elevens in the wilderness. The people pray, God, you've got a problem. We're in covenant together, so you've got to help us. And where are we going to get water to drink? Zephyr Hills hadn't been found yet. God, you're in a dilemma. You're in a pickle. How are you going to provide our need for water? You see, when you and God are in covenant together, your problems are God's problems. God led the children of Israel through the desert, and he supplied all their needs. His strength was made perfect in their weakness, just as it is in ours. And as long as we stand in the covenant, he will supply all of our needs according to his riches through Jesus Christ our Lord. But is that all there is? Is, is that what God's covenant means, that we're going to be blessed with uh, descendants and, and uh, blessings? No, there's more to it than that. You see, what God promised Abraham didn't happen until the descendant of Abraham came. Centuries later, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus is contained all the promises of God. He is the one Abram saw in his vision going through the fire. He carries us to the cross and beyond to the very throne of God. So the old covenant has done its work. Now the better covenant has come. Not in the blood of an animal. Not in the blood of an animal. But in the once and for all shed blood of God's son, Jesus. The blessing that God promised to Abraham, according to Galatians 3, is not confined to, to bread or water. It was Jesus dying on the cross to bring us into a unique relationship with God. And Paul reminds us in Galatians 3, verse 29, listen slowly to this. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And God did it all. It's a diatheke. There's nothing that we can do to achieve salvation. We can't fast enough for it. We can't pay enough for it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. 
Don't you see that those who are living the Christian life are those very individuals who have come to the end of trying to do something and have started receiving God's grace. The life of faith begins by facing our sin and accepting God's grace. But don't you know in our natural state, in our carnal state, in our soul state, what we say is, I'm not responsible. I didn't do it. He made me do it. She made me do it. The devil made me do it. But I'm not the one responsible. But our Christian life begins when we look at our sin and say, I'm responsible. I did it. I'm to blame. And dear friends, the beginning point is at the breaking point. The beginning point is at the breaking point. A broken and contrite heart. When we see that God has handled it all under the terms of the covenant, then we begin to live it. And when we begin to live it, oh, don't you know, when we begin to live it, we truly become kids of the covenant. And brothers and sisters, that is good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Loving Lord, there is so much that we have to be thankful for. But our condition is such that we want to do something. We want to participate. And you keep telling us that your grace is sufficient for all our needs and it's given freely. And all we have to do is accept it. And we say, God, I'm not worthy. And God, you say, yeah, I know but accept it because of Christ. Help us to see it. Help us to live it. Help us to accept it. And we will be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the thanks for being the kids of the covenant. And the family of God said, Amen.